Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following podcast contains explicit language. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Today, our guest is the most influential person in basketball who never laced up sneakers or coached on a sideline, former sports marketing executive Sonny Vaccaro, a.k.a. The Soul Man. That's S-O-L-E, Soul Man. Sonny Vaccaro is the guy who connected sneaker money to so-called amateur hoops. He's also the guy who signed Michael Jordan and Nike out of college and Kobe Bryant out of high school. And most importantly, for Edge of Sports folk, a person who has become perhaps the most important spokesperson against the sham amateurism of the NCAA, which he sees as a civil rights issue for college athletes. And this week, I will speak about a remarkable event I moderated last week on a stage with Greg Popovich, coach of the San Antonio Spurs, and Dr. Cornell West in front of 350 San Antonio high school students and most of the Spurs team. I'm going to give you the inside story about that. But first, here he is, the soul man, Sonny Vaccaro. Let's, let's, go, let's go for it now, young man. We take it for granted now that big-time NCAA coaches have deals with shoe companies. But this really was your idea decades ago to actually pay coaches to have kids wear Nikes back when Nike was just a running shoe. I want to ask you if you remember the moment where you came up with this formulation. Was it a kind of like light bulb going off over your head or was it more gradual than that? It was not a preconceived idea. I didn't go there with that. I went there with them sending me some shoes and possibly designing some shoes that some kids at my camp I was running in Pittsburgh at that time had come up with in their mind. My coming up with the idea of paying coaches was the second or third thing once I was there. I went out there to show them my designs. I brought them back to Pittsburgh to show them what the Dapper Dan Round Ball Classic was with these great high school players, the first all-star game ever done in the world. Going back to Nike a second time, 
it came to me that they weren't even involved in basketball. And I got the impression somehow they wanted to get into the basketball business. They did bring me out and they did come to the game. And I said, well, you want to get in basketball, why don't you pay the college coaches? It, it came out of my mouth like, uh, hey, it's not Tuesday, it's Wednesday, you know, that sort of thing. So it just came out, and as my life pattern followed, I usually things just come out of my mouth, David. So it was not something that was I ever thought about until the second I thought about it. Before we go there further, I just I just got to ask you, uh, one of your ideas was a sandal that doubled as a basketball shoe. Is that correct? Absolutely. A kid from the camp you know, came over to me one time, and he said, why don't they make tennis shoes like so kids can wear everywhere? And then the word was tennis shoes for the audience. It was not a basketball shoe because you wear a tennis shoe. That's what the, the word was to define what basketball shoes later became. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't know. You know, you, you, you're involved with basketball. Kids like to wear them everywhere. And what he was saying, I think, I cannot take credit for this, and he didn't say it this way, the tennis shoe was worn and poor kids wore the tennis shoes to school, to church, uh, to play ball in. And uh, and basketball wasn't even a, a sport of nature, especially in Western Pennsylvania. It was all football. And he had a great idea. So it happened like that. And so he said, can you make a shoe you know, we can wear everywhere? So it wouldn't be like the poor kid's shoe. I hope I explained that, but that's how it happened. Innocently, and the kids wanted something different. The first version of Air Air Something was my Italian shoemaker, who later grew up to be in the Shoemaker Hall of Fame, was a kid who lived in my hometown. His family would have been there for years, you know, being shoemakers. And I went to him for designs and cut up. And what he basically did was design some shoes, and he, he perforated, he cut out sides uh, like air vents on the sides. Now, vision is not... I'm like, trying to. I'm, you know, I'm really trying. And then they, they, he <laughs> cut them out, and then that was it. And then one, one he, he made a shoe. You slipped into it like a slipper and used Velcro. That was your shoelaces. That's how Sonny Vaccaro, his Italian shoemaker and the kid from camp, made me even aware that Nike was living. Everything after that happened because of that. The kids wanted something different to wear on the playground, and when they went to the school dance or when they went to church, that's what it was. It was simple as that. See, that's fascinating to me because it says two things. One, that this idea of the custom-made basketball sneaker, the kicks, uh, the culture of kicks really rose from the bottom up, that it was grassroots, that it came from the kids themselves. That's the first thing that is really striking. The second thing is that you're saying that the first great designs of the modern basketball shoe was done by an Italian cobbler an industry that effectively does not exist anymore. That's remarkable. That's a very well put uh, phrase there. This was the start of kicks and the designs and fashion. This, and there was a kid at camp that told me about it. I didn't come up with it. I then progressed into this guru of shoes. And, you know, the funny thing about that title, David, I don't know anything about shoes. I know about marketing or ideas or whatever. But that's how it happened. But you took the synthesis of um, inner city African-American youth culture and an Italian cobbler's skills, and now it's a multi-billion dollar multinational industry. That That's a remarkable uh, genesis for this. And they, they, can't, they can't undo what happened, David. That's the great thing about history. If you've got the facts, history changes all the time. 
all the time. It's an interpretation. But if you have the facts, it's just like, what do we know about the Bible? Except somebody started scribbling on walls, right? Like the cavemen or whatever. The only history we have as facts are the original people that did it. That, that's why I'm so adamant about this whole thing with Nike and, you know, and basically my life and the, the evolution of whatever it was that it helped turn into. You have to accept what is real. This happened. This was not a make-believe. This happened. Yeah, history happened. That's one of my friend's favorite uh, phrases. It says history happened. Uh, I, I and so let's let's get back to that bringing together of of sh- the shoe industry, the sneaker industry, and college sports. Uh, you know, this has been described as an industry where people profit off of kids and where kids are unpaid marketing vehicles. And I keep thinking about your outspokenness against the NCAA. And that says to me that you agree with that analysis, that that's not right for kids to be unpaid marketing vehicles. And I wanted to ask you if this was something you saw in real time in the 1980s and 90s, or is this something that came to you later as you were looking back over how the industry had mutated over the years? I think it was always in my mind, the African-American, the inner city kid, that's who made basketball. Then, now, in the future, whatever, okay? The kids were buying everything. These kids in high school were paying for everything, okay? Everyone bought shoes. So when I asked to give away the shoes at my round ball classic, that was the payment for them putting it on. I gave the shoes to the kids and the sweatsuits and whatever heck they, we gave away. When we went to paying the coaches, the kids and the schools basically got everything free. You couldn't pay the athletes. It, wasn't, it would not have been in my mindset in 77. But what obviously was in my mindset was giving the coaches sweatsuits, shorts, you know, uh, shoes for the kids, T-shirts for the summertime, whatever that was. So the kids, in my mind, no one was thinking about anything, and certainly not the people who ran the NCAA in the sport. So I've always understood this kids were shortchanged. But the windmill that is the NCAA, and I say windmill because they just keep blowing the wind up everyone's rear end. They never said no, and they took. They never brought up things to do something for the athlete. But no, it always progressed to a point where the kids were shortchanged and cheated by the NCAA proper because the NCAA proper made their own rules. And let's understand, when I was giving away and paying the coaches, now in the 80s, we're giving these coaches 200000 250000 We are paying them more than the school was. So we understand that. The NCAA didn't step in then and say, stop it. Everything that's been permeated and done over these years to it got to a point where it is today is been okayed by the NCAA. Only they kept all the money. They paid all their coaches. They built their own buildings, their own, you know, gyms and all, off the money, all the endorsements, all the coaches and the players for the athletes wearing the shoes. But David, I'm no martyr. I'm no saint. What I was was understanding of who the individual was. It was the kid. Everything that was fought for early that was decried and beat up then came to realization by the public that even though some may not want to admit it, that the NCAA is the elephant in the room. Yeah, what you're really talking about, what's changed, is just the idea of exposing the hypocrisy of sham amateurism while people make millions off these kids. It's beyond hypocrisy. It's now shame. The shame of how they gradually get a crumb and they throw it to an athlete. Like now they're going to they're going to pay for the parents who go to the football thing next month or whatever. Isn't that nice? I mean, shit, I've been asking for that for 25 years. But the point is... We are now in 2017. There's more money than God created in the world of athletics. 
and it's all going to one entity. Individuals who run bowl games, individuals who run conferences, individuals who do nothing except monitor the events played by the 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who bring in billions of dollars. And, we're, and we say, and right now is such a beautiful time to say this for me on your program, and we say, oh, they're amateurs, and it's all about tethering to education. Education has come further down the, the crap hole in the, the system of the NCAA than it's ever been in this life because there is no education. There's not even a pretense. When they tell you about the $500,000 in scholarships, that's a pipe dream. Mm. The pipe dream is what? The education or the individuals who you promise to, and now they don't even take classes. Now they don't even do all these other egregious things. And what do they do for when they fire the guy? They don't fire him because he didn't educate you. They fire him because he didn't win games. Mm -hmm. I want to put a really fine point on this because one of the things that was said in the terrific Soul Man documentary that ESPN 30 for 30 did is one of the talking heads said something like, we have to come to the realization that these shoe companies have hurt these kids. And it seems like what you're saying and what folks like Patrick Ruby have argued is that it's not the shoe companies that have hurt these kids. It's the system that doesn't allow for the natural relationship of the shoe companies actually having an honest arrangement with these kids being able to flourish. Is that how you look at it? Well, it's, yes, that's the only answer to this question without a biased response from the other side. Because all the promises and all the – this word amateurism is, is a sham to begin with. The irony here is one thing, one thing that none of them ever say that are in rebuttal against what I believed in and, and, and these kids deserved is why in the hell did the NCAA and the, and the member of schools say no to the shoe companies? Why don't take their money? Do you understand that when, when Under Armour gave $250 million contract to, to UCLA recently and, and all these other schools get all this money, do you really think they ought to see Steve Alford and, and uh, uh, you know, the kid, the guy Mora or Jim Harbaugh and, I mean, do you, Mike Krzyzewski, do you, you really think? Well, let them put the shoes on and don't give it to the kids. That's okay. They give it to them because the athletes are on television. When I started this thing, it was all Sports Illustrated and getting your picture in the paper. There was no TV in the 70s. <laughs> People have you know, willful blindness when it comes to this system. My point here is the hypocrisy is in the sayings of what people do to defend the NCAA. They don't have to take the money. Right. I can't speak for the industry now, but when I was running the show for the three companies, let me just tell you something. We didn't give a damn if the giving the players money or do whatever, giving them the shoes, whatever, that's what the rules allowed. Do you really think that the shoe companies would stop supporting the universities while they're still playing in these televised games and all that, and ESPN and CBS would stop televising the games if the kids got money, they'd give the money directly to the kids. They do it already. They do it already. This may not come out in money. It's in favors. It's in everything else. What, what do you say to folks like John Thompson, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about John Thompson in particular, who both seems to just love and respect you so much and yet also disagrees with you down the line on everything you just said. I, I, 
I believe that John does love and respect me, and he would have been one, he, he was and still is one of my closest friends in my life. I think John's argument now is the same argument that anybody within the system, and John's in an awkward position because he's also on the board of directors of Nike, but all the coaches like Jimmy Beheim and Larry Brown and all these guys who were interviewed that don't want to pay the kids. Well, if they start saying pay the kids, they're believing that they're going against their, the people who are feeding them. The schools, the NCAA, they're not going to say pay the players, but I would bet you in their hearts if they weren't restricted by this common core of defense of not paying the players, okay, they would all want to do it. These aren't the same people I knew in the 80s. I mean, I, my problem is, and their problem is, I was with them when they didn't have anything. We were the – Nike paid more money to the majority of coaches who became legends in the game and helped the game go to the greatest heights the greatest heights than their schools did. Now, was it so wrong to make them billionaires or millionaires as opposed to the players? Let's be very honest about this. That's my whole point. So I, I understand it. They, they, they still are employed by the system. I would hope they would, in their deepest thoughts, say, what the hell are we doing here? It's all about the kids. It ain't about me. And you see, that's the, So, you know, do you feel I don't I, I feel bad because I think they could change it in, in a minute. I think they can change it in one minute. Just stand up in unison. I, I don't hold any grudges. I'm too far down the line. And basically they every one of that era and this era, the the ones coaching today are a bigger sinner in my eyes than the ones coaching in the eighties, in the nineties. I mean it sincerely. Uh, they could just I mean, some of these coaches could change this in a whim. All these Freudian things that they do inside their little cloak and dagger world that they live in, and this, 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 you know, wizard behind the cloth at the NCAA. I mean, my God, it, it's the biggest monopoly and fraud in the world if you look at it by saying they're amateurs by that one word, amateurs. The kids can't profit. There's a kid today that uh, just declared that uh, he's going to go right to the pros uh, out of high school. He's a great player. I know the family, I know the kid. Trayvon Duvall is going to uh, IMG Academy for one year, and he said it. He said it today in the paper. He said, I'm going for one year. That's it. I'm going. But he, Because he has to go for one year, or he wouldn't go. Well, they're saying we can't pay these. These guys can't get it unless we tether it to education. Well, you know what? Maybe we should tether to that education where the kids don't even go to class. You know, let's go to North Carolina. They have a good tethering to education. Or let's go to any of these schools that have deprived these people, these individuals, of an education. You know, my God, some of them get degrees, but they never get educated. You know, but the public buys into it. The public is a gullible force. We are all gullible to something. And what we do, we want to see the football games. We do not want to see interruption. Curf Herb Street. Right. You know, there's this guy that's made a billion dollars. Yeah, ESPN and ABC announcer. Okay, and he's, he's mm-hmm. talented at what he does. He was a pretty damn good football player. But he went out and made a statement about a year ago that he blames Eddie O'Bannon for not watching the goddamn EA Sports basketball game. Does he, does he or anybody have the right to say what's best for another individual? And how do you signal out? And I bring him out because he said it. I'm not making up stories. You know, how do you do that? Where, do you, where does it give you the right to say that I can't earn? So just to give folks the background who don't know, Ed O'Bannon, of course, the all-time great college basketball player at UCLA, he sees himself in a video game, EA Sports, a likeness of himself, and he 
sued. And you reached out to Ed O'Bannon to facilitate that process. I and reached out and I quit working, yes, for eight years. Yes, 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 yes. Your, your, your wife, Pam, she said that working in the O'Bannon case was more important to you than anything else you'd done. Signing Michael Jordan, signing Kobe Bryant, turning Nike into this behemoth. Working with Ed O'Bannon on this case was more important than anything else. And that's a statement you stand by? Do I stand by it? I mean, I hopefully, when I'm gone and you're still here, you may mention that. Well, there's no question. I think everyone comes to some sort of a thought in their mind that, okay, what is it? that maybe I missed or I can do. Well, I, I could do that. I could do that. So it, it, there's nothing second. There's, now, saying this up, without Jordan or Nike or Adidas, none of these things would have happened if I didn't do those things. But once I was in position, you know, I, I mean, there, there's, no, there's not even a second place. Not even a second place. O'Bannon, David, just for the record, eight years of my life, it's been dedicated. I didn't take a penny from anybody. I didn't, I'm not saying that for anything on your, somebody to write in and say, wasn't that nice? You know what? It was the right thing to do because we had a fight. I'm, I'm not involved in it. I'm just the outsider that bought his own airplane tickets, just like a different Nike in 76. My point to you is there's not even a second place. O'Bannon, if there's anything, you know, I'm so glad. And he was such a great plaintiff and all the guys. I mean, no, it did more for my life, for my own humanity. You know, heck, I'm 77 years old, and, you know, I, I feel good about myself. I, I, I do. And Eddie certainly was part of that, and Michael Hosfield and all the other plaintiffs. I mean, absolutely. You say, I mean, I hear what you're saying about not seeing yourself as a martyr, but did you feel like your involvement in the O'Bannon case in your own mind was like some sort of form of, an, of atonement? That's what it sounds like you're saying. I don't think it was atonement, and I understand why you and others can say it. What I think it was, to me, it was time for me just to step away from everything. It was just time. Doesn't that count something in your life where you change jobs or you do this or you know you get a divorce? Whatever it is you do, you do. Well, that's what I did. One day I said, I'm quitting. So atonement, no. Joy and satisfaction or, you know what, Sonny? It's about time. Well, maybe I was selfish and greedy and I wanted to keep my job and make my money, but and thank goodness I did for a minute or two because we say I had some money. So you you can't escape that. You know, I do did work for a living and earn money, what everybody wants to do, right? You want to have a dollar in a bank. That's what you do. And all the, all the friends that I knew when I was running the companies, they're still my friends. I just don't see or talk to them anymore. <laughs> they got a whole new line. That's awesome. And can, can you speak a little bit for our audience who doesn't know, what is the legacy of the O'Bannon case? What has changed because you and Eddie O'Bannon and the, the attorneys took on the NCAA? Well, I, I think what has changed is they are in violation of antitrust. And if, if you were to ask Sonny McCarroll when all this started, the only thing I ever remembered in that legal world was they, they won antitrust with that supposedly what that Supreme Court justice said in the, in the Board of Regents case. So what O'Bannon did, he cleared the, the morass away, all the obstacles. These people are defenseless now. Now, they can make their own public relations thing. They can say, well, we don't have to give them the 5000 unless it's tethered to education, all that bull crap. They can't get away by saying they're violating, you know, the antitrust laws. All the new cases going forward will be 
front and center with antitrust, which for your audience is when people collude to prevent you from earning. It opened the door for everything. They're defenseless on this now. And there'll be new law cases. I hope I live to see the next big one. But O'Bannon knocked the walls down. That's what he did. He knocked the walls down. We won. We didn't lose. We won. I can't separate uh, the O'Bannon case from recent instances like the the Missouri players saying they wouldn't play unless a, a racial injustice was remedied on their campus or the Northwestern players trying to organize a union. When you see instances like Missouri and Northwestern, do you see that as part of this general work that you're doing of getting justice for young athletes? Well, I think that's what O'Bannon – I think that's the, that's the – the the quiet that's the dream world of O'Bannon. What's happened since O'Bannon and will continue to happen, David? That's what I envision. That world will crumble. Then, if we would have lost the, the gamble of losing, they would have gone on with impunity forever. They would just keep doing it, and no one's ever questioned why these people should run this bowl thing, why these people should run this, why they should pay exorbitant amounts of money to their own, why is it they can fire. All these things happen. Now they're being examined. And obviously what we've also seen is the total, total disgrace of within athletic departments across America with the individuals running them. I mean, you know, without getting into particular things, what you saw at North Carolina academics, what you see at Baylor and sexual abuse, mm-hmm. what you see, what you see is a result of people having the guts to stand up and fight these people. Mm-hmm. Why should the president of the NCAA get paid two million dollars? I, I don't know what he does, and I don't say this negative. I'm sure he's a good guy, okay, and I'm sure he's a bright guy. What the hell does that have to do? What does he do? He always tells you he works for the member institutions, and the member institutions tell him what to do, and they're presidents. Well, I mean, I don't know what any of these guys do. Why, why do coaches get bonuses? Why do athletic directors get bonuses? Why do we fire Charlie Strong when everybody in the world said he's one of the greatest individuals that ever comes down the pike, except he didn't win enough games? And that goes on and on. Why do we allow this to continue? Why can they leave? Mm-hmm. Why did this guy, oh, this guy got his dream guy. Oh, that guy Herman got his dream job. You know how many dream jobs these coaches, every time some, Brian Kelly got the green job. Everybody gets dream jobs. Then they screw it up and they're, it's a nightmare. <laughs> but the point was, they leave kids to go to the new place. So the bowl, this, you know, this, this Houston team will go to a bowl game and, you know, the coach ain't there that brought them. They can't go anywhere. These kids are, are stuck. The whole system, it's sick. It's a sick system. So when you ask me about some of the old time guys, some of my friends, and I do consider them friends. And John's one of the one of the people in my life. You know, there's four or five guys like that. You know, that were part of that original group that I have you know, a bond with all my life. But my point is, we don't always agree, and it's easier for them to disagree with me now than it was 20, 30 years ago. Much easier. Oh, I would think it would be tougher for them to disagree with you because so much uh, of what they're employed. They're employed. <laughs> so much of what you've said, though, has has come to pass. Like it's almost like you 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 were pointing at a little alligator that was getting flushed down the toilet, and now it's you know and someone might argue with you that that's dangerous. But now that alligator is this monster marauding the streets. It's a lot harder to argue with you that you were wrong about the alligator in the toilet. And that's a good analogy. I never heard that the toilet no, and the alligator. <laughs> but I'm saying to, I'm saying to you is the argument on my behalf has come a billion miles. And I think, I think sometimes when I sit back and just my wife, we talk about this stuff here, David is a sense that, um, 
that I think a lot of people are aware of the alligator and and I think that's what you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. What 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 happened was the alligator was submerged and whatever. Now the alligator in my mind is is going to win. We we've won because they're out. You know, O'Bannon is out. The the, the mm-hmm. flaws of the NCAA how do you keep hanging on? How do you keep justifying everything if it's not for your own selfish good? They give themselves raises. They, they, they have the, the ability to come and go as they please. And they wipe it under the rug and they just say, it, you, know, you know, well, it's a mistake. A mistake at whose expense? Never the schools, right. never the schools, never the coaches, never the coach. It's the athletes. It's right. the athletes. That's the whole problem with the sport. And it's run by people who are self-serving. They're very self-serving. They protect themselves. And that's why in a very pleasant moment of my life when I can reflect on my life, when you say, did I, did I had redemption or did I see, you know, the, the, the rainbow and say, oh, but I'm going to do this. You know what? You know what's funny to me? They've been fighting me since the seventies. They've the ends up way, starting with Tarkanian, going through all the things, everything I did, they rebelled against. The trick to this whole story, I'm still living. I'm probably the only guy that goes back to Walter Byers original. I was involved with Byers when all that, when, when, when they protected UCLA. Yeah, Walter Byers, who headed the NCAA for, I think, about 45, uh, 35 years from the early 50s to 89, yeah. Yes. He actually said in his book when he did, he, he, came to, to, he found Jesus all of a sudden. He wrote a book about all the wrongs he did, but he forgot all the wrongs he did hurt thousands of kids. He took away the four-year scholarship. He called it the student-athlete. They said, use the word student-athlete. It's a trick. There's no student anything in the whole goddamn university other than athlete, student-athlete. They're just students, I guess. There's no student, you know, historian or gardener. Special category. They put every (laughs) word in there. (laughs) Student. Interesting. But I'm still alive. Give me grace to be doing programs like this and to tell the story because the story is sticking. The story is sticking. No, and and that's really got to be the most satisfying part for you, that you're not a voice in the wilderness talking about this, but you're helping to create uh, a new accepted paradigm of what the problem is with the NCAA. And that, that, that's that got to feel incredibly good. Most people don't get to experience that in their life. Um, I got to ask you this, though, before we stop, and thank you so much for your time. It's a basic question, and I know you've been asked it before, but looking back at, at your incredible career with all of its ups and downs and high points and financial success, but then social justice success, what do you want your legacy to be? Whatever you think it is, you being the public, I can't tell you what to do. What what I think every individual wants to do in their life, David, is do things that they're comfortable with and they feel good about. I feel good about my life. There's no question about that. I wouldn't have it any other way. But I can't, you know, my legacy is whatever is interpreted by the outside world. That you, You're the one that writes the epitaph, not me. Mm. Sonny Vaccaro, thank you so much for joining us here on the Edge of Sports podcast. Hopefully we can do this again. All I right. hope so, too. And I got to ask you, Sonny, before you go, uh, what's your music, man? What, what, what kind of music do you listen to when you uh, are feeling really good? I think I'd go, I'd go more to New York and go to Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers oh. and Dion and the Belmonts. And, uh, he is the Wanderer, Sonny Vaccaro. No. <laughs> That's it. Okay. The Wanderer. <laughs> the Wanderer. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sonny. Okay. Great Bye. time. Bye-bye. 
That was Sonny Vaccaro. To learn more about this man's rather remarkable life, check out the ESPN 30 for 30 Soul Man. It is absolutely worth your time. And now, some choice words about an event I did last week in San Antonio. San Antonio Spurs head coach Greg Popovich is perhaps the most respected figure in basketball, if not the sports world. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. Dr. Cornell West is a Harvard professor, author, and rabble rouser who really stands as one of the most influential human rights figures of his generation, not to mention one of the most polarizing figures of his generation. They are both icons, and yet they're not necessarily two people we put in the same sentence. But on November 20th, Coach Pop and Dr. West sat on a stage at the Carver Community Center in San Antonio, and for over two hours, they took questions from over 350 students who attend Sam Houston High School on San Antonio's east side. Also in the audience was most of the Spurs team and invitees from the broader community. And somehow I was the moderator of this event. And yes, it was as unforgettable as it sounds. And no, we do not have sound from the event, but I want to describe it to you here today. For over two hours, the students held back nothing, asking tough questions about the state of the world and their own place within it. And Coach Pop and Dr. West answered in kind, without condescension, and with straight talk about the importance of education, the state of the world, and how these young people, who are all black, brown, and far from wealthy, could navigate these troubled times. Pop told the crowd that he wanted to host this kind of meeting because, as he put it, I wanted to show you, the students at Sam Houston, that there are people in your community who care, and we understand that there are things that have to be fixed, and we are willing to listen and participate with you in making that happen. As for Cornell West, he said he was there because of Coach Popovich. He said, This brother right here has been at it for decades, dedicated to integrity, honesty, and decency. What comes to mind when you hear that name, San Antonio Spurs? Excellence, teamwork, a team that is able to allow each player to accept the gifts that they have so that something bigger than the individuals will manifest on the court. That's serious. That ain't just about money. That ain't just about a trophy. That's about what kind of human being you want to be in this short life. Now, the questions from the students were about their own ability to move forward with a sense of optimism and hope, given the current state of this country. Coach Pop said, I think the most important thing is that you can't do anything by yourself. You have to join together, be prepared, ready and active. Dr. West also answered about the importance of students seeing themselves as part of a collective community and not individuals on their own. He said, do you believe in yourself? If you do, that will enable you to learn how to respect others. And in respecting others, you'll be able to deal with what is coming at you. But at the larger institutional level, you're going to have to learn how to organize, mobilize, and create networks and even movements. This is what's been happening the last two weeks. You all seen the folks marching on television. Did young people march here in San Antonio? And the crowd all yelled, yes. And then Dr. West said, then you know what I'm talking about. Both Pop and Dr. West also talked with emotion about the importance of education, hope, and knowing that this wasn't just a fly-by event, but that they would be there to help the students going forward. 
A student asked, of course, about whether the Spurs were going to win a title this year. And here was one of the most emotional points of the day. This is how Coach Popovich responded. He said, win the championship. I don't know, but it's not a priority in my life. I'd be much happier if I knew that my players were going to be citizens, who were going to make society better, who had a good family, and who took care of the people around them. I'd get more satisfaction out of that than a title. I would love to win another championship, and we'll work our butts off to try to do that. But we have to want more than success in our jobs, and that's why we're here. We're here so you'll understand that you can overcome obstacles by being prepared, by educating the hell out of yourself, and by becoming respectful, disciplined people in this world. If you do that, you can fight anything. And when you add the fact that if you join with each other, and you believe in yourself and each other, that's what matters. That's what we want to relay to you all. We believe that about you. Or we wouldn't be here. Dr. West seemed stunned by Coach Pop's words and even had a catch in his throat when he said right afterwards, This is what makes Brother Popovich not just a great coach, but a great human being. There are not many coaches that would say what he just said. He wants to win a championship, but as a human being, he wants to make sure that all young people live lives that matter. That's what it means to be a great person, not just a great basketball player or coach. That's true for your teacher. That's true for the old folks who are sitting around here, no matter how much money they have or what their position is and so forth. It depends on what kind of human being they are. Are they choosing integrity, honesty, and decency? Or are they choosing trickery? That's fundamental. Most importantly, what I felt like I saw in San Antonio was the shape of things to come. Hundreds of engaged young people seeking ideas for not letting this current political moment define the limits of their future. Cornell West put it in a way that the audience, or at least me, will never forget. Speaking about our spiritually adrift celebrity culture, he said, There's a difference between a peacock and an eagle. A peacock walks around and says, Look at me, look at me, I'm part of a spectacle. A peacock struts because he cannot fly. Eagles fly high with nobility. They look concerned with folks who are downtrodden. We need more examples of eagles, and those examples are becoming more and more apparent, especially from the young generation. That's why I salute you. But the last words belong to Coach Pop, who said, Hopefully you all believe in your soul. There are many people who care about you, love you, and know that you have tremendous value. But don't let anybody take that away from you, because the more you believe that about yourselves, the more you can handle whatever comes your way. After this event took place, a very prominent basketball writer for ESPN got in touch with me after I tweeted a photo of all of us on stage, and he asked me, how did the organizers of this event, quote-unquote, get Pop to do it? The answer is that no one got Pop to do it. This was his idea. He made this happen in the middle of the season, and the Spurs organization backed him to the hilt. That's the part of this story that really matters. We can all be changemakers, no matter our age, no matter where we work, and no matter who we are. We can all be people who take a stand and say that the way things are aren't necessarily the way things have to be.
And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award, where we give kudos to a player who uses their hyper-exalted platform to speak about the world outside of sports. This week, it goes to Lyle Thompson, the Onondaga Indian lacrosse superstar, who went to Standing Rock to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, Matt White from Chapel Hill, who writes for Lacrosse Magazine, emailed me the following background about Lyle Thompson, and I want to read it to you all because it's really quite astounding. He wrote to me, Lyle Thompson, who left the University of Albany in 2015, is the first and only back-to-back to Wharton Trophy winner. That's Lacrosse Heisman, named for the Mohawk word for the game, as the top scorer in NCAA lacrosse history, and now plays professionally. He is among the most well-known active Native athletes in the United States, particularly among young Native Americans, even among tribes that are not historically associated with the sport. He sits at an uncomfortable apex of the sport, which for decades has been the preserve of New England prep school culture, but which also remains at the center of tribal customs in many New England tribes, particularly among the Iroquois nations, which invented the game before the arrival of whites in North America. Since leaving Albany, he has led the Onondaga national team to a third place finish at the Lacrosse World Championships and speaks out frequently on native issues. He drew online fire for post against the Cleveland Indians mascot during the World Series, end quote. That's Lyle Thompson. He gets the Just Stand Up Award this week. And I also want to give a special shout out to Lyle Thompson's coach, Steve Marr, who's a white dude who has turned his program at Albany into a showcase for Onondaga players. Eight are on the team this year. And Coach Marr has thrown himself into many tribal issues. And as Matt White told me, it was Steve Marr who drove with Thompson to Standing Rock. So big shout out to Lyle Thompson, big shout out to Steve Marr, and big shout out to my eight-year-old son, Jake, who was out there in front of the Justice Department this weekend with a sign calling for justice for the people of Standing Rock, no to the Dapple Pipeline, and saying loudly and proudly that water is a human right. Good job, Jake. And now a new section on the show uh, before we wrap up that I'm calling Kaepernick Watch. Because every week it seems like Colin Kaepernick is involved in some way, shape, or form at the intersection of sports and politics. And I just can't give him the Just Stand Up Award every single damn week. So instead, I just wanted to keep people up to date on a week-in, week-out basis as far as what kind of uh, political mischief Colin Kaepernick has gotten himself involved in this week. And this week, it has to do with the fact that Colin Kaepernick, and I swear to you, a screenwriter wouldn't have the guts to write this, just happened to be playing in Miami the week of the death of Fidel Castro. And so, of course, Colin Kaepernick had something to say about Castro. And of course, uh, the Miami writers representing a Miami community, uh, particularly Little Havana, which was celebrating the death of Fidel, were all over Kaepernick because earlier this year, he famously or infamously from the perspective of Little Havana wore a T-shirt with Malcolm X and Fidel on it. And so Colin Kaepernick was actually asked after a game where he played terrifically against the Dolphins. The Dolphins won by a touchdown. Kaepernick threw for three touchdowns. He rushed for over 100 yards. Uh, Really his best game since he's been a starter. 
But afterwards, he was there to talk about Fidel. And this is what some of us love and what others, I guess, hate about Kaepernick is that he does not care about the moment. If you're going to ask him about politics, he's going to respond. And so Kaepernick was asked about being a Fidel apologist. And this is what he said. He said, I agree with the investment in education that Cuba underwent. I also agree with the investment in free universal health care, as well as the involvement with Castro in helping end apartheid in South Africa. I would hope that everyone believes those things are good things. Trying to push the false narrative that I was a supporter of the oppressive things that he did is just not true, end quote. And you see, this is what Colin Kaepernick was trying to do. He was trying to bring a little nuance to the very unnuanced conversation about the death of Fidel Castro at age 90. So thank you, Colin Kaepernick, for that. As always, uh, you have an open spot if you ever want to come on this show. But until that takes place, we will continue with the Kaepernick Watch and continue to chronicle your journey throughout this year of being a political athlete in uncertain times. That's all we have for this week on the Edge of Sports podcast. Uh, if you want to contact me, Dave Zirin, you can do so at edgeofsports at slate.com or on Twitter at edgeofsports. Please rate the podcast on iTunes. Please give it a rating. All of that stuff helps a great deal in terms of visibility. We're trying to get the word out there, and we'll do it one person at a time. I really want to thank Afim Shapiro, thank Ryan Wallerson, thank David Tigabu. Uh, for production on this week's show. A uh, big shout out to my producer, Dan Bloom, who is out of town celebrating some wonderful personal news that I'll share next week with his okay. But big shout out to Dan Bloom. We miss you this week, but very proud of you, my man. Uh, that's all I got to say. I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Stay frosty, people. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.